Book 5, Chapter 1 of The Dead Secret. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Camille Hill. The Dead Secret by Wilkie Collins. Book 5, Chapter 1. An old friend and a new scheme. In declaring positively that the boy whom she had seen digging on the moor had followed her uncle and herself to the postang of Port Jenner, Sarah had asserted the literal truth. Jacob had tracked them to the inn, had waited a little while about the door to ascertain if there was any likelihood of their continuing their journey that evening and had then returned to Port Jenner Tower to make his report, and to claim his promised reward. The same night the housekeeper and the steward devoted themselves to the joint production of a letter to Mrs. Franklin, informing her of all that had taken place from the time when the visitors first made their appearance to the time when the gardener's boy had followed them to the door of the inn. The composition was plentifully garnished throughout with the flowers of Mr. Munder's rhetoric and was, by a necessary consequence, inordinately long as a narrative and hopelessly confused as a statement of facts. It is unnecessary to say that the letter, with all its faults and absurdities, was read by Mrs. Franklin with the deepest interest. Her husband and Mr. Orridge, to both of whom she communicated its contents, was much amazed and perplexed by it as she was herself. Although the discovery of Mrs. Joseph's departure from Cornwall had led them to consider it within the range of possibility that she might appear at Port Jenner, and although the housekeeper had been written to by Rosamond under the influence of that idea, neither she nor her husband were quite prepared for such a speedy confirmation of their suspicions as they had now received. Their astonishment, however, on first ascertaining the general purport of the letter was as nothing compared with their astonishment when they came to those particular passages in it which referred to Uncle Joseph. The fresh element of complication imparted to the thickening mystery of Mrs. Joseph and the Mersel Room by the entrance of the foreign stranger on the scene and by his intimate connection with the extraordinary proceedings that had taken place in the house fairly baffled them all. The letter was read again and again, was critically dissected paragraph by paragraph, was carefully annotated by the doctor for the purpose of extricating all the facts that it contained from the mass of unmeaning words in which Mr. Munder had artfully and lengthily involved them, and was finally pronounced after all the pains that had been taken to render it intelligible to be the most mysterious and bewildering document that mortal pen had ever produced. 
the first practical suggestion after the letter had been laid aside in despair emanated from rosamond she proposed that her husband and herself the baby included as a matter of course should start at once for port jenna to question the servants minutely about the proceedings of mrs joseph and the foreign stranger who had accompanied her and to examine the premises on the north side of the house with a view to discovering a clue to the locality of the Mercer room while events were still fresh in the memories of witnesses the plan thus advocated however excellent in itself was opposed by mr orridge on medical grounds mrs franklin had caught cold by exposing herself too carelessly to the air on first leaving her room and the doctor refused to grant her permission to travel for at least a week to come if not for a longer period the next proposal came from mr franklin he declared it to be perfectly clear to his mind that the only chance of penetrating the mystery of the mercer room rested entirely on the discovery of some means of communicating with mrs joseph he suggested that they should not trouble themselves to think of anything unconnected with the accomplishment of this purpose and he proposed that the servant then in attendance on him at west winston a man whom had been in his employment for many years and whose zeal activity and intelligence could be thoroughly depended on should be sent to port jenna forthwith to start the necessary inquiries and to examine the premises carefully on the north side of the house this advice was immediately acted on at an hour's notice the servant started for cornwall thoroughly instructed as to what he was to do and well supplied with money in case he found it necessary to employ many persons in making the proposed inquiries in due course of time he sent a report of his proceedings to his master it proved to be of a most discouraging nature all trace of mrs joseph and her companion had been lost at the post town of port jenna investigations had been made in every direction but no reliable information had been obtained people in totally different parts of the country declared readily enough that they had seen two persons answering to the description of the lady in the dark dress and the old foreigner but when they were called upon to state the direction in which the two strangers were travelling the answers received turned out to be of the most puzzling and contradictory kind no pains had been spared no necessary expenditure of money had been grudged but so far no results of the slightest value had been obtained whether the lady and the foreigner had gone east west north or south was more than mr franklin's servant at the present stage of the proceedings 
could take it on himself to say. The report of the examination of the North Rooms was not more satisfactory. Here again, nothing of any importance could be discovered. The servant had ascertained that there were twenty-two rooms on the uninhabited side of the house, six on the ground floor opening into the deserted garden, eight on the first floor, and eight above that on the second story. He had examined all the doors carefully from top to bottom, and had come to the conclusion that none of them had been opened. The evidence afforded by the lady's own actions led to nothing. She had, if the testimony of the servant could be trusted, dropped the keys on the floor of the hall. She was found as a housekeeper and the steward asserted, lying in a fainting condition at the top of the landing of the first flight of stairs. The door opposite to her in this position showed no more traces of having been recently opened than any of the other doors of the other twenty-one rooms. Whether the room to which she wished to gain access was one of the eight on the first floor, or whether she had fainted on her way up to the higher range of eight rooms on the second floor, it was impossible to determine. The only conclusion that could be fairly drawn from the events that had taken place in the house were two in number. First, it might be taken for granted that the lady had been disturbed before she had been able to use the keys to gain admission to the myrtle room. Secondly, it might be assumed from the position in which she was found on the stairs and from the evidence relating to the dropping of the keys that the myrtle room was not on the ground floor but was one of the sixteen rooms situated on the first and second stories. Beyond this, the writer of the report had nothing further to mention, except that he had ventured to decide on waiting at Port Jenner in the event of his master having any further instructions to communicate. What was to be done next? That was necessarily the first question suggested by the servant's announcement of the unsuccessful result of his inquiries at Port Jenner. How it was to be answered was not very easy to discover. Mrs. Franklin had nothing to suggest. Mr. Franklin had nothing to suggest. The doctor had nothing to suggest. The more industriously they all three hunted through their minds for a new idea, the less chance there seemed to be of their succeeding in finding one. At last Rosamond proposed, in despair, that they should seek the advice of some fourth person who could be depended on, and asked her husband's permission to write a confidential statement of their difficulties to the vicar of Long Beckley. Dr. Chenery was their oldest friend and adviser. He had known them both as children. He was well acquainted with the history of their families, 
he felt a fatherly interest in their fortunes, and he possessed the invaluable quality of plain, clear-headed common sense which marked him out as the very man who would be most likely as well as most willing to help them. Mr. Franklin readily agreed to his wife's suggestion, and Rosamond wrote immediately to Dr. Chenery, informing him of everything that had happened since Mrs. Joseph's first introduction to her, and asking him for his opinion on the course of proceeding which it would be best for her husband and herself to adopt in the difficulty in which they were now placed. By return of post an answer was received, which amply justified Rosamond's reliance on her old friend. Dr. Chenry was not only sympathized heartily with the eager curiosity which Mrs. Joseph's language and conduct had excited in the mind of his correspondent, but he had also a plan of his own to propose for ascertaining the position of the Myrtle Room. The vicar prefaced his suggestion by expressing a strong opinion against instituting any further search after Mrs. Joseph. Judging by the circumstances, as they were related to him, he considered that it would be the merest waste of time to attempt to find her out. Accordingly, he passed from that part of the subject at once, and devoted himself to the consideration of the more important question, how Mr. and Mrs. Franklin were to proceed in the endeavour to discover for themselves the mystery of the Myrtle Room. On this point, Dr. Chenery entertained a conviction of the strongest kind, and he had warned Rosamond beforehand that she must expect to be very much surprised when he came to the statement of it. Taking it for granted that she and her husband could not hope to find out where the room was, unless they were assisted by someone better acquainted than themselves with the old local arrangement of the interior of Fortuna Tower, the vicar declared it to be his opinion that there were only one individual living who could afford them the information they wanted, and that this person was no other than Rosamond's own cross-grained relative, Andrew Treverton. This startling opinion Dr. Chenery supported by two reasons. In the first place, Andrew was the only surviving member of the elder generation who had lived at Porchena Tower in the bygone days when all traditions connected with the North Rooms were still fresh in the memories of the inhabitants of the house. The people who live in it now were strangers and who had been placed in their situation by Mr. Franklin's father and the servants employed in the former days by Captain Treverton were dead or dispersed. The only available person, therefore, whose recollections were likely to be of any service to Mr. and Mrs. Franklin was indisputably 
the brother of the old owner of Port Jenner Tower. In the second place, there was the chance, even if Andrew Treverton's memory was not to be trusted, that he might possess written or printed information relating to the locality of the Myrtle Room by his father's will which had been made when Andrew was a young man just going to college, and which had not been altered at the period of his departure from England, or at any after time, he had inherited the choice old collection of books in the library at Port Jenner. Supposing that he still preserved these heirlooms, it was highly probable that there might exist among them some plan or some description of the house as it was in the olden time, which would supply all the information that was wanted. Here then was another valid reason for believing that if a clue to the position of the Myrtle Room existed anywhere, Andrew Treverton was the man to lay his hand on it. Assuming it, therefore, to be proved that the surly old misanthrope was the only person who could be profitably applied to for the requisite information, the next question was how to communicate with him. The vicar understood perfectly that after Andrew's inexcusably heartless conduct towards her father and mother, it was quite impossible for Rosamond to address any direct application to him. The obstacle, however, might be surmounted by taking the necessary communication proceed from Dr. Chenery. Heartily, as the vicar disliked Andrew Treverton personally and strongly, as he disapproved of the old misanthrope's principle, he was willing to set aside his old antipathies and objections to serve the interests of his young friends, and he expressed his perfect readiness to write and recall himself to Andrew's recollection and to ask, as if it was a matter of antiquarian curiosity, for the information on the subject of the north side of Port Jenner Tower, including, of course, a special request to be made acquainted with the names by which the rooms had been individually known in the former days. In making this offer, the vicar frankly acknowledged that he thought the chances were very much against his receiving any answer at all to his application, no matter how carefully he might word it with a view to humouring Andrew's curlish peculiarities. However, considering that, in the present posture of affairs, a forlorn hope was better than no hope at all, he thought it was at least worth while to make the attempt on the plan which he had just suggested. If Mr. and Mrs. Franklin could devise any better means of opening communications with Andrew Treverton, or if they had discovered any new method of their own for obtaining the information of which they stood in need, Dr. Chenery 
was perfectly ready to set aside his own opinions and to defer to theirs. A very brief consideration of the vicar's friendly letter convinced Rosamond and her husband that they had no choice but gratefully to accept the offer which it contained. The chances were certainly against the success of the proposed application, but were they more unfavourable than the chances against the success of any unaided investigations at Port Jenna? There was, at least, a faint hope of Dr. Chenery's request for information producing some results, but there seemed no hope at all of penetrating the mystery connected with only one room, by dint of wandering in perfect ignorance of what to search for through two ranges of room which reached the numbers of sixteen. Influenced by these considerations, Rosamond wrote back to the vicar to thank him for his kindness and to beg that he would communicate with Andrew Traverton as he had proposed, without a moment's delay. Dr. Chenery immediately occupied himself in the composition of the important letter, taking care to make the application on purely antiquarian grounds, and accounting for his assumed curiosity on the subject of the interior of Port Jenner Tower by referring to his former knowledge of the Treverton family and to his natural interest in the old house within which their name and fortune had been so closely connected. After appealing to Andrew's early recollections for the information that he wanted, he ventured a step farther and alluded to the library of old books mentioning his own idea that there might be found among them some plan of verbal description of the house, which might prove to be of the greatest service, in the event of Mr. Treverton's memory not having preserved all particulars in connection with the names and positions of the North Rooms. In conclusion, he took the liberty of mentioning that the loan of any document of the kind to which he had alluded or the permission to have extracts made from it would be thankfully acknowledged as a great favour conferred and he added in a postscript that in order to save mr treverton all trouble a messenger would call for an answer he might he disposed to give the day after the delivery of the letter. Having completed the application in these terms, the vicar enclosed it under cover to his man of business in London, with directions that it was to be delivered by a trustworthy person, and that the messenger was to call again the next morning to know if there was any answer. Three days after this letter had been dispatched to its destination, at which time no tidings of any sort had been received from Dr. Chenery. Rosamond at last obtained her medical attendant's permission to travel, taking leave of Mr. Orridge, 
with many promises to let him know what progress they made towards discovering the myrtle room mr and mrs franklin turned their backs on west winston and for the third time started on a journey to port jenna tower end of book five chapter one recording by camille hill basin stoke united kingdom